Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me. And they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Hello there, and welcome to another Mission Unstoppable. I'm so glad that you're able to join us today. I am very excited. Today, you're going to meet my friend, Dr. Friedemann Schaub. He is a physician specializing in cardiology, a molecular biologist, who today may be best known for his breakthrough process for those who live with fear and anxiety. In his award-winning book, The Fear and Anxiety Solution, A Breakthrough Process for Healing and Empowerment with Your Subconscious Mind, Dr. Schaub has helped thousands of people with his personal breakthrough and empowerment program. He helps them overcome their fear and anxiety by addressing the deeper subconscious root causes of these emotional challenges. And through a step-by-step guidance today, he's going to explain how to transform fear and anxiety into healing catalysts that lead to greater confidence, self-worth, and success. Now tell me, who doesn't want their life to be like that? I certainly do. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Friedemann. How are you? Well, I'm very well. Thank you so much for having me. I was very much looking forward to this time with you. Oh, good. Me too. You know, a little while ago, I, I had the great pleasure to be a guest on your show, and, and you said something to me that made all the sense after I finished reading your book. Now, it was almost eerie while I was reading it because I'm not a cardiologist, nor am I a biologist. And and it was so interesting that we both had very similar thoughts about change and solution. Now, in your book, you speak about steps to overcoming fear and anxiety. Uh, your steps are awareness, flexibility, choice, actualization, and integration. And we're definitely going to talk about that throughout the show. But I want to start, this is Mission Unstoppable, and it is your life as well as, as what you do. So I'd like to start where I think it all starts really with the socialization process, uh, because in some ways I think that's where the seeds sprout for all this fear and anxiety. And I want to get you know to know you, your unstoppable story, and how you came to be this caring, wonderful man you are today (laughs) wow okay so where do i start well i guess anxiety was something i just grew up with it was all around and you know maybe there is a reason why you know angst is a german word because a lot of germans have a certain angst and a certain anxiety especially when they have been going through world war ii like my parents and so there was just this uneasiness Uh, that I always was confronted with. And of course, as a child, you just learn to somehow to cope with it. But I remember there were times where it it just took over, you know, where you just feel like, okay, now all of a sudden the, the world looks black and white. There is this, you know, gray shadow over it. And that happened, for example, when I got into high school and, uh, from being, I think, fairly easygoing and happy-go-lucky to all of a sudden having to really perform and finding out, well, maybe uh, I cannot just bring home any grade. Maybe I'm getting in trouble if I bring home a D, which actually happened. And this was one of the few times where 
for it seemed like eternity, but it was probably just 10 minutes. But when my mom read me the riot act and basically, you know, threatened and told me what's going to happen to me if I'm not shaping up and something crumbled inside of me, you know, that feeling of, oh, the world is good. You're unconditionally loved. Mm -hmm. Everything is wonderful was gone. And in that moment, it was more like, okay, you have to achieve, you have to uh, be good enough, you have to meet expectations. And that feeling of just not being good enough in their eyes for who I was, uh, was driving me, you know, to two doctorates and whatever achievements, because it just always was that feeling I have to do more, I have to reach higher goals, I have to prove myself. Well, let me again stop you there again. for a moment. I'm gonna stop you there for a moment. Because that because as people who are listening, and they're going to do this, this, you know, process themselves, we can go we can go further back, because that story actually started a little bit further back. It started you were um, on a on a family vacation in France. And <laughs> you're you, you just, you know, you're going to start high school. And your teacher had told your parents something. Now, this is this is what I call, you know, um, going back and, and, and just taking that that thread and just keep, you know, going back and back and back until we actually find the root cause, because you're all about the root cause. Right. So so right. let's go and look at your root cause. And it might have even gone further back than that, because, you know, everything happens in the subconscious, as you know. But during that vacation, your parents told you something. Well, they basically told me that they had talked to the teacher in grammar school and that teacher had uh, suggested to my parents that they shouldn't send me to high school because I was a late bloomer, I wasn't really that smart, and uh, they wouldn't want to set me up for failure. Now, my parents were both physicians, and it was unthinkable for their son not to go Absolutely. also you know, to high school, university, medical school, yada, yada. And so they told me that. And, um, you know, I didn't, first of all, I didn't really know what it is, a late bloomer. So that may have given like, it away mean, already. Did, did you think that you were like socially inept or what did they mean late bloomer? Like, really, no, they, I don't know what you meant. Well, that they meant was basically that like, don't take uh, school, life, oh, learning seriously? seriously. I'm just still so infantile play around like and uh, yeah exactly well <laughs> which was lucky. not bad i you know yeah. puppy go lucky yeah exactly yeah, I, yeah. I really enjoyed being like this and uh, but it was more the fundamental feeling was just that there is something wrong with me okay. it's not just you know as a late bloomer again i didn't really know what it means but if you hear from your parents that there is a doubt in their minds in their own child that's scary you know you yes. really feel in that moment okay well uh, they did somehow find a flaw in me and uh, what can I do now to overcome this flaw? And and again, then it happened that I didn't really have these great uh, grades as expected in high school right at the beginning. And then there was more pressure and then there was... Was this... that self-fulfilling prophecy because they told you that you couldn't or you might not be able to do it? Or was it really just, you know, you just needed to settle down? No, I really, I mean... I didn't know how to study for math tests simply because that very teacher who told me <laughs> that I wasn't okay. really that yeah. smart was a terrible teacher in math. He was excellent in in German and dictation, and but math, he wasn't really yeah. interested. So I was way behind to the other kids and the expectations in high school. But again, it was more like this. You're right. There was something that I was also not taking as serious and... But then, you know, you go from, okay, it's going to be all right, 
to, oh my God, there is a test tomorrow. I cannot sleep. What are I going to do? So my parents even gave me sleeping pills and stuff oh, like that wow. because I was, you know, freaking out. Yeah. And that was just going on until, you know, I was in my mid-20s, this pressure, this stress. And I guess, uh, let, let's, let's explore one thing for a moment because there are so many girls in the world who think they're stupid because they had a math teacher tell them they couldn't do math. I was one of them. You know, I thought I was really dumb that I couldn't do math until, you know, even just a few years ago when I'm looking at some problems and I'm going, oh, my God, look at me. I'm brilliant. I can I can solve all of this. And I don't know when it happened when I realized I could do it. But I had a terrible math teacher like you, like you did. And, mm-hmm. you know, that went into my subconscious. And, and this is kind of what, you know, the, the, the crux and the basis of where we're going with, with all of this is that there, there is a message that was input right or wrong, into our subconscious, right? And and it stayed there, and it told us certain things. Well, then it gets into your subconscious because there is an emotion evoked. You know, many messages we are told, <laughs> like yeah. the messages in math, and we don't feel anything about it, and so it doesn't really get into the memory box. It doesn't really get to the subconscious. But if you are threatened or blamed or made feel ashamed or, you know, again, not feeling good enough. All of this has a certain survival component to it, which means basically like, oh, my God, you know, the people that I'm dependent on are not pleased with me. Mm -hmm. So your subconscious just grabs that message and says, okay, uh, we need to take this serious and there's something we need to do about that. So you were, you know, you you were the apple of your parents' eye. were, Were you an only child? Yes. No, I had a sister. Oh, you have a sister. Well, I have um, a sister. And and so here you are, you know, you could do no wrong in their eyes up till then and then all of a sudden you get a bad grade and it's like, ah, freedom. <laughs> right. What's wrong with exactly. you? Exactly. Well, you know, and this is you talk about root causes. So there is mm-hmm. one event, but there it's usually not one event that really makes a difference that gets you into this uneasiness and anxiety. There is a series of events that you know somehow play all together because sure. there was another event that shook me up that was very harmless but it made me feel like I cannot trust I cannot trust in the world I cannot trust in God I cannot trust in anything oh. and that event was as you know I think shaping or imprinting on my psyche on my subconscious as that event uh, in southern France with my parents and it was very simple it was a a guy who was tuning our piano who was a very nice man who told me he has a perfect ear and he can take all you know these notes in he doesn't have to have a machine and i was very impressed and i was young i was just watching him completely innocently and then all of a sudden he looks at me and say do you believe in god oh yeah i think so say so, okay that's good because you know God will test you one day, and you better be ready for that test. And these oh. words were ringing in my ears, and I thought, okay, I'm already afraid of tests. <laughs> I'm already <laughs> afraid of math tests. The bad test, the test word. Test. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God, how can I pass that one? So that was always in keeping me a little bit on the edge and making me think the shoe going to drop. Did, did your parent? Did you ever talk to your parents about that? Did you know? Did you guys go to church on Sundays? Like, what was your relationship with God at that time? Well, uh, we definitely got woken up to go to church on Sundays. I was Lutheran, so it wasn't as hardcore, but it was still going to church. And uh, you know, I I had actually a fine relationship with God 
at least in my mind until then. Okay. But then all of a sudden God felt like the judge, the teacher, the one who is out there to get you. And, all and actually in order to overcome this, I even developed OCD behavior, which we can talk about, you know, yeah. after the break. But well, we're going to come back. We're going to go to a break very shortly. And when we come back, we will talk about that. But, you know, if you're listening, you can see how these things start to form. You know, it, it's innocent. It's, it's, uh, but somehow, like you said, the emotion evokes, uh, you know, the, the imprinting of, of the action. And, and there you go. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Friedemann Schaub will be right back with us. Right, don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. Welcome to Geraldine Tegelove Live, the show that shares with you the secrets of redefining, reinventing, and rebuilding your life. Having pulled herself from the rubble of financial ruin and having gone on to create a highly successful career, Geraldine has become an expert in the art of transformation. She believes that it doesn't matter where you are right now, how overwhelmed you feel, or how impossible the task of turning your life around may seem. You can do it. Stay tuned as metaphysician, international best-selling author, and intuitive Geraldine Tegelov gives you the inner understanding and the outer practical how-to to create your amazing life. Gain a fresh perspective on how to redefine, reinvent, and rebuild your life. Join Geraldine Tegelove live every Tuesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on the Toginet Radio Network. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Progressive damage to nerve cells and their connections depicts Alzheimer's disease and includes memory loss, impaired thinking, difficulties with verbal communication, and personality changes, which can all be devastating. Harvard Medical School offers five tips to sidetrack Alzheimer's while enhancing your health. They recommend that number one, you maintain a healthy weight. Number two, check your waistline. A National Institutes of Health panel recommends waist measurements of no more than 35 inches for women and 40 inches for men. Number three, eat mindfully. Choose food wisely and watch portion sizes. Number four, exercise on a regular basis. And number five, keep an eye on important health numbers like cholesterol, triglycerides, blood sugar, and blood pressure. I'm Annette Hammond. And we're back. You're listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. Today, my guest is Dr. Friedemann Schaub. And we are talking about fear and anxiety and his solution to help you transform that into something that is healing uh, and, and get your self-worth and, and success in your life rather than be debilitated by, by this fear and anxiety that can hold you back uh, greatly. Before we went to break, we talked um, a little bit about the big T word, the test word that, that had Dr. Schaub, um, you know, a little hesitant in life. And he even mentioned that he developed OCD because of, you know, this, the situations that surrounded, the, the different situations that surrounded him. Uh, the first being that his parents were disappointed with his grades for the very first time in his life. The second being that God was, was now, somebody had told him that God was going to watch him and the test was coming. So, you know, we have a little boy now who has been imprinted and worrying about his behavior and about what's coming next in the big test of life. And so happy we went from happy-go-lucky to somebody who 
now is, you know, a little bit anxious. I think we've caught up. <laughs> yes, thank like you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you just caught up, the, caught up in season one, so yes. season two, basically. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so, so you know, you, uh-huh. you, you went on, though, to become a cardiologist. You know, you went on to, to work in a hospital in Germany. You went on, you know, to great success. How did you yeah. do that, Being, having all this fear about tests? Oh, I I was, you know, really, really working hard. I mean, basically, I switched from enjoying life to, you know, plowing through it. So I became more the one who felt like anything less than an A isn't acceptable. And so, you know, I really got good grades and I turned out to be the best in my class. And uh, this is how I got into medical school. And no, I mean, I, I became an overachiever, which wasn't necessarily fun to be. No, but it was what I thought I had to be. I'm and, curious. though. I want to stop you. I'm curious. In all of that overachievement, was there an area in your life where you weren't? Was there an area that was messy? Well, it's kind of funny, you know, because um, we had art class, you know, arts and craft. And mm-hmm. I think I'm the only person alive, probably, or maybe ever, who <laughs> had to go and get some uh, tutoring in arts and crafts. <laughs> <laughs> because like that was the only place where I did not get <laughs> a, a good grade. So it was that's, kind of That's uh, really ironic. interesting. How is that possible? Yeah. Like what? What well, happened when you parents, were in arts and crafts? Well, I mean, this teacher again. Is it a waste of time? Who, is it you know like? No, 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 no. I was just not talented. I just you know I had two left hands. Very simple. And okay. so, the the teacher who also wasn't very good in math, he loved arts and crafts. I mean, you can see they were teaching pretty much everything one person, and he loved arts and crafts. But he also knew this guy really doesn't have a lot of talent there. And so he always sent me up to his wife to, you know, when he forgot a tool or to get a pack of cigarettes or whatever it is. So I basically never really got engaged in arts and crafts. Okay. And so my my grades were not really that good. But that changed again when we had a, a teacher who it wasn't so important for him to do it accurately. It was more important for him to do something in arts and crafts and be able to explain it later on what we thought about it. Right. And because I really was good in explaining, I basically always got an A. It looked horrible, but I could explain exactly what I meant. And that was but enough for him to Did you enjoy doing it, though? Like, I actually did. Good. Yes. Yeah. I, because, you know, when I when I worked in government, <laughs> funny as this sounds, we would send people to Arts and Grass um, as a way to explore creativity and just relax throughout the day a little bit. Like 20 minutes, put Google Eyes on a stick or whatever. But just doing that, their thought, like, their thoughts, almost like your meditation in your book, your thoughts could just, you know, uh, roam around and, and you could find solutions to problems and, and where otherwise you might not, you know, so mm. a little bit of relaxation in a way. No, you know, I really discovered that I have uh, a creative interest and mm-hmm. maybe even a talent because later on I became an avid glass blower. And Oh, uh, wow. Really? Doing I that. love like Cholulee. Oh. Well, you know, in, uh, Seattle is the hub for glass blowing, and so, you know, I wouldn't really say that it comes close to any of those masters. But you know, I did some nice vases and some nice bowls, and I was I've all about the color. To do that. It's great. It's a good wow. lesson for life. 
Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love color. I'm, I'm an I'm an artist. I'm a painter too. But okay. So back. Let's go back to to our fear and anxiety <laughs> traveling. And this is so wonderful. You see how we get to know people on this show. It's just great glass blower. Love it. <laughs> okay. So you know, you, you you were a cardiologist, but you hated it. Like you you didn't like it. You weren't enjoying life. And you have to enjoy your life. Well, you know, that's that's kind of the turning point, right? So when yep. I was reaching the point that I was uh, finishing or I had finished uh, medical school, I was uh, a resident, I became a cardiologist, I was working in a university hospital, I saw my life laid out, I had a mentor who basically wanted me to become his successor and, you know, become a professor at this clinic in Munich and and that's when I got the panic attacks in the middle of the night that woke me up and that voice that said, you want to live like that for the next 25 years? Are you sure that that's what you want? And that that realization that, you know, if I'm honest to myself, that's not what I want. This is not what I've signed up for. That was scary and freeing at the same time because for the first time since I was in this autopilot motion of being the overachiever, I questioned if this is what I'm doing really right for me. Is that really my purpose? And, you know, I was looking for something because often, you know, as as a, as a doctor, you work quite long hours and you yeah. feel a lot of pressure and you're usually so focused on others that you kind of ignore yourself. And, uh, you know, I found myself, you know, during my career, going back into churches or looking for something of meaning. And I couldn't find it because okay. I was so preoccupied and I was so lost and I didn't really know myself. I only knew myself as a functioning being, but I didn't know myself as a human being. And uh, so that all of this, I think, got me into this panic attack, which I describe in the book. Often anxiety is your wake-up call. It's that call from inside that says, are you sure that you are really who you're supposed to be? Are you sure that you are inside of yourself and not two feet outside of yourself? And and all of those things I didn't know at that time, but it just felt to me, there's something I need to do. And so, you know, I said at the beginning, it's about socialization. It starts that seed in socialization. And your parents wanted you to carry on, right? They wanted you to be a physician. And so you bought into their dream not necessarily your own. Maybe you thought it was for a while. Um, but then, you know, you called it a mechanical approach to healing, what you were doing. And, and it wasn't what you needed to do or what you wanted to do. You wanted to, to, to talk to people. You wanted to find out, you know, be a more holistic healer, I think, than, than just, you know, the, 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 this healer that you were supposed to be as a cardiac uh, as a cardiologist on the floor. Um, you know, sure, you can tell people to eat better or do better or whatever, but you, you wanted to find out what, you know, how come? Why are you eating like that? What's going on in your life? And and it wasn't, that's not the way it works in medicine, in Western medicine. Right, right. Well, I mean, I also felt that anxiety and stress were a big component of right. what people had going on when they developed their issues with the heart or after they had an issue like a heart attack, there was a lot of anxiety that no one really knew what to do about. I mean, we, you know, in the clinic just were more focused on the symptoms and the, the physical body and not so really interested in what the emotions were doing. So I saw people in pain. I saw them in fear. I remember one patient of mine who was a really sweet man and um, 
I, he was someone who uh, had a, a heart condition that then basically my boss, the professor, the big guy, told him, well, sorry, you cannot sail any longer. He wasn't really avid sailor. He loved Aww. sailing. It was like his dream. And he was told, this is too dangerous for you. This is too hard for you. You just have to slow down. And we didn't realize how much it affected him. And I remember the face. I mean, remember how kind of everything dropped. I mean, it was really like, a, what does that mean for my life? But we didn't realize that it had affected him so much that a few weeks later he had committed suicide. And that <gasps> oh, is something wow. where I, looking back, just feel like, you know, did we miss the message? Did we not realize that if we take this away from him, we actually take his life away? And if we would right. have spent more time, if we would have known this man better, we could have saved him. And that's one of those things where I felt we need to look more into the psyche of a human being. We need to understand their emotions, their thoughts better, how the mind and the emotions are right. working together. Otherwise, we're just dabbling on the surface. And well, you know, that reminds me um, of really when when men retire from work, oftentimes, like within two years, they'll be dead if there's no purpose. Right, right. Is that, is that a correlation? Is it true? Well, in some ways, you know, it's similar, but, you know, work is not necessarily joy. The work no. that they are missing is more their identity. For this person, it was more like, you know, basically his, his life, I don't his know, joy. his chi, his life, yeah, his yeah. whatever his he was force. living for. So it was, I think, even more dramatic. I mean, for many people, you're right. I mean, I see many clients that are just going into the retirement and they are driven by fear and anxiety because all of a sudden they are no longer in control. They don't know themselves anymore because they have lost that role or they're about to lose the role they felt comfortable in mm -hmm. and it brings up all these emotions they never dealt with and yes i mean this can go to the point where the body shuts down or where you go into a deep depression or again anxiety so it's a it's a very critical time and i think that's exactly what i when i had these panic attacks somehow saw ahead of me and felt like okay that's going to be me so i have to do mm -hmm. some course correction here. Let, let's talk about the anxiety attack because I suffered from them in my younger days. I got two kids that suffer from them. And, and you know, they can be very debilitating. They can be very scary. Sometimes you think you're having a heart attack. We've got a minute to our commercial break. But maybe let's describe it very quickly. When we come back, we're going to explore it a little bit more. Well, when you do feel like you have a panic attack, it often really comes out of the blue. You're not expecting it. You wake up with it or you're driving along the highway and boom, all of a sudden you're feeling, you know, there's hard racing, shallow breathing, you're sweating, you feel dizzy and foggy, you cannot get a clear thought. All of this feels just totally overwhelming. And you do feel there is something with your heart because often it's connected to a tightness in the chest and of course we all heard tightness chest means heart attack right so many people go right to the hospital and say i have a heart attack but that's not what it is it's just a panic i'm going to stop you we're going to be right back you want to know more about anxiety and panic attacks don't go away Stop. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's words you never heard. The first official 4th of July party was held at the White House in 1801. 
But did you know that countries other than the U.S. celebrate American Independence Day or July 4th? Denmark, Italy, Portugal, and England all have 4th of July parties. In fact, the British celebrate their independence with bungers and fizz gigs, otherwise known as firecrackers, just like in America. Squib is slang for an electric match used in pyrotechnics. Our dog celebrates July 4th every year the same way, by cowering under the bed. Many European celebrations take place, of course, at American military bases. I'd like to send a special thanks to all our armed forces stationed around the world for everything you do to provide freedom and independence to America. It's marching I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. We have been reminded repeatedly of how important sleep is to our body and our health. Now it's becoming clearer that the amount of sleep you get can directly affect your weight. Shape Magazine reported on a study by the Mayo Clinic that shows how close the link between getting sleep and self-control really is. Researchers found that short-changing slumber by as little as 80 minutes leads people to take in an average of 549 more calories the next day. Even a small amount of sleep deprivation can have enormous effect on your appetite. I know that's true in my own life. When I'm tired, I have reduced self-control and eat more in hopes that it will help me with energy, which is not true, of course. Make it a priority to get the proper amount of sleep. For the Fitness Minute... I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. And we're back. It's Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am speaking to Dr. Friedemann Schaub. He is the author of The Fear and Anxiety Solution, A Breakthrough Process for Healing and Empowerment with Your Subconscious Mind. And that book is available on Amazon.com or all your local bookstores. So why don't you go check it out? You can also go to his website, Fear and Anxiety. Uh, what is it? <laughs> FearAndAnxietySolution.com? Is that it? The, it's the TheFearAndAnxietySolution.com. There we go. Go check it out. There's lots of really great uh, great, great stuff on his site, and you're gonna, as you as you can tell, he's just an amazing person. So why wouldn't you want to? Um, we were talking about a panic attack, what it feels like. Can you die from one? That's the number one question I get. Uh, no, you can't. Okay. You cannot really die from your emotions, uh, even though you know some people say they are fainting from it, but it's not that you're dying from it. It may feel like dying. Right. It's not something that kills you. I mean, ultimately, your emotions are created by your mind. And the, especially with fear and anxiety, the reason why they are created is to somehow protect you. So it would be quite the opposite if it would kill you or harm you. Okay. So that's very interesting because your mind doesn't want you dead. So Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. So you're not going to be harmed, but it feels like it. Um, you know, for me, my ears get hot and, and your breath feels like your chest is tight and all of that great stuff how can you make it go away how can you make make it um go quicker like get over you know make it last shorter if you're going to have one like you don't want it to last a long time is there, is there some kind of process for that well yeah but i think that that's exactly the you know the tricky part which brings me back to cardiology where we are saying how can we make sure that the heart stays in the rhythm or how can we make sure that we don't get a heart attack and we are only looking at 
again, the symptom, we're not looking at the root cause. Same with anxiety. Right. The symptom of anxiety is not the problem. Mm-hmm. The symptom is just the messenger. It's just basically, you know, you're feeling all this, uh, all the stress hormones or all the adrenaline and cortisol, you know, flowing through your system and that gets you into this freeze, fight, flight or fight uh, mode. But that's not the problem. The problem is what triggered it. So if you really want to know what to do is how can you prevent it? What can you right. do next time so that it doesn't come up? And that's the whole journey about, you know, finding out what is the message, what are, where is the messenger coming from, and what is actually, you know, something that you need to do, what do you need to address, similar to physical pain, what do you need to address to heal the wound? The anxiety is the pain. It's not the wound. Okay. Like do I have me. to go somewhere, or can yeah. I can I just read your book and do it myself? Now I you know I have read your book. It's fantastic. Um, as a hypnotherapist, you know a lot of it does sound like like you know hypnosis and and, and that. Um, but you you you've got your um, you've got script in there so people can can record their own and, and kind of go through the process as if you were with them. Um, is it easier to do to go to somebody, or can they do it themselves? It's definitely easier to work with somebody. Now, it's a little bit different than hypnosis because you do work on a, you know, not as deep level in regards to working with your subconscious. You don't go into a deeper trance. Really, the goal is for you to be consciously aware of your subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. Your goal is not to be zonked out. But what you want is basically to get a deeper understanding and appreciation for your subconscious. You know, because most people don't really know what is my subconscious, why is it there in the first place, why does it bother me all the time. So there is a disconnect. And the book is all about how can I work together and befriend myself with this so powerful aspect of our mind. And the processes are just tools for you to get there and Sometimes when you work with someone that, you know, basically helps you to get to the labyrinth of your mind and figure out, you know, the the deeper root causes and the things that you may not be able to see yourself because you're sitting in the midst of it, it makes the process for you to overcome anxiety just much easier and faster. The, you know, some people, if you're listening, you may be feeling like you're at war with yourself. There's a part, you know, there's two parts in your mind and, and, you know, one part is I am so confident and and wonderful. And I've always felt this way at work. I'm like, you know, super B. And then in my personal life, there's a lot of things that, you know, I I wish were different about me. And, and there are two, I used to say, well, I'm a Gemini, you know, there's two of us, but that's not necessarily true. There's, they're all me. They're all parts of me. Um, And yet we're at war. We're not, we're not integrated. So, this is, you know, fear and anxiety can arise with this, you know, dis- being disintegrated like that. So how, how, um, or who's going to win? You know, the, 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 there's an Indian proverb that says, you know, the one who speaks loudest is going to win or the one that you concentrate on is going to win. And that's probably true. You know, Henry Ford said that too. Think you can, think you can. Other way, you're right. But where would we start with the process? How, you know, who am I going to listen to in my head? Well, you listen to both. Okay. And that's the challenge. You know, basically, you know, this is exactly what happened uh, with me, where I had a part of me that was a very strong uh, overachiever. And then there was another part of me that was every time totally afraid of going into a test. So I was constantly 
at war with myself because the pushy side says, do more, try more, try harder, go further, raise the bar. And the more avoidance side says, no, I just want to do nothing, stay in bed, put the blanket over the head. Why do I have to do this? So I had to force myself all the time to overcome the tendency of the avoider and follow the pusher until I had these panic attacks that just said, enough is enough. This is not working. I don't want to always have to perform. I don't want to always have to do something I really don't want to do. So that's when almost it shifted, you know, where I got some attention and realized, oh, I am actually at war with myself. I have just mm -hmm. been overriding the voice of me that says, that doesn't feel good. That is not the right thing. This is not what I really want to do. And a lot of people have that. You know, it doesn't have to be that they are pushing. It just means like, you know, let's say, for example, you have a part of you that really wants to be in a relationship and is longing for love and is looking at dating sites or is going out. And then the, the other side that is completely afraid of getting hurt and disappointed and rejected and wants to pull you back. And this is where self-sabotaging behavior comes from. Mm -hmm. This is where procrastination comes from. This is where self-fulfilling prophecies come from. All of those things are related to that conflict where you literally feel you are fragmented. You don't feel whole because you wake up one day and you feel positive and I can do it. And then the next day you wake up and you feel like, you know, Eeyore and the sky is going to fall. And right. how can you find that middle ground? That's really the challenge. And as a partner to that person, you know, what can I do? Like, I'll give you this is a real example. My husband is a guitar player. He's a songwriter. He loves, you know, he sits around the house and, and he'll play hours. And, and he's written many, many, many amazing songs. And he's put out three CDs. He doesn't like to play in public. He is mm -hmm. so anxious for him to get up and play that he goes, it's just not fun. I'm a mm -hmm. drummer. I love mm -hmm. to get up on stage and play. And so I try to be encouraging. But, you know, maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Maybe, you know, I go, oh, but it's fun. Like once you get used to it, you know, you'll love it. The more you do it, the better it gets. Everybody, that, that excitement is nervous excitement can be, you know, a challenge. But maybe it is nervous excitement or maybe it's fear. Like, you know, they're kind of interchangeable sometimes. Uh, and it can be good and, and gets you up and gets you all excited. And I, but, you know, so as a partner, should I go, no, that's okay. You don't ever have to play in public. Or should I encourage it? Well, I would encourage it because ultimately any kind of avoidance is preventing us from growing. Right. And what he's doing is basically he's preventing himself from going further and having different experiences than he already has because he's giving into this maybe anxiety or it's not fun idea. And so give him the book, make him, you know, understand the two parts, make him communicate with a part of him that is scared, that is afraid make him you know help that part to understand that there is nothing really scary about because the other side that loves to uh, create and uh, maybe also you know just put out songs and entertain people or make them move to his music that part really wants to be seen and wants to be heard and mm -hmm. so there needs to be a compromise and that's mm -hmm. again something where this process the parts integration can help you just can help you to get um uh, 
an understanding and ideally a compassionate relationship with both sides of you. It's incredibly powerful. If you finally yes. look at your anxiety, the part of you that feels like a little devil inside or that ominous energy that you always want to avoid and you realize, oh, that's actually just a part of me. I can actually see where this part comes from. It's mm -hmm. this little boy on the beach who is afraid of being not you know, smart enough. Oh, now I understand why that boy is so afraid of going and, you know, doing tests. And now I can explain to him life is not a competition. It's a journey or whatever those things are. You can ask this part even and communicate with it to get a deeper understanding why it creates avoidance patterns, why it creates anxiety. And you get answers when you talk to your subconscious. It hmm. responds. And it that's does quite respond. Powerful. It is. And what we're talking about is, is literally sitting down, closing your eyes, breathing, and, and going into yourself and, and imagining, you know, because it's all a metaphor, really, right or wrong, uh, imagining that there's that part of you that is the avoidance uh, participant and, and ask, why don't you like to play music in front of people? And, and he, hear the answer. Keep asking questions and keep getting answers until, you know, the truth will come out eventually you'll dig deep enough and it will say because my parents laughed at me when I was a child or whatever the case was you'll, you'll come to the root the root of it and be right. able to change your perspective on it exactly but the interesting thing is then when you're asking this part so if you wouldn't have to be afraid anymore because you would know that you're unconditionally loved that you are safe that you belong that you are protected what would you like to do instead and mm -hmm. then you get answers that really shift from survival mode into more joy mode or thriving mode. And that's ultimately the goal, that this part of you gets out of this pattern of, I need to protect, I need to avoid, I need to be safe, to, oh, I want to create, I want to explore, I want to learn, I want to grow. And that happens on a subconscious level, and it literally catapults you out of this tension and it allows you to expand again and and people feel it viscerally feel it how this process makes them just look at themselves differently i had a client who told me you know what i didn't realize that i saw the world in gray colors only all of a sudden everything is so bright when i opened my eyes i saw light i saw you know the green colors of plants which i never really noticed so it, it changes you on a profound level wow we are, what a fascinating conversation don't you think don't go anywhere we are coming right back with dr friedman schaub and we are going to have some more wonderful conversation and i just i'm just so thrilled that you're here if you want to call us feel free to do so the number is 903-587-7887 and we would love to hear from you Listening, Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's words you never heard. Man cannot live by bread alone. He must have his peanut butter. Peanut butter is a pate of childhood, and it's not just for kids, his dogs love it too. Last night I gave my dog a pill hidden in peanut butter. What's a word for a messy concoction that helps the medicine go down? Sliver sauce. Mice apparently prefer peanut butter to cheese when it comes to luring them into the trap. But there are even more practical uses for peanut butter. Peanut butter contains natural oils, which makes it perfect for removing all kinds of sticky things, like gum stuck in your shoe or in your hair. What's a word for the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth? 
arachnophobia. And according to Barry Goldwater, if you don't mind smelling like peanut butter for two or three days, peanut butter is a darn good shaving cream. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The fat that is deep within your abdomen and fills the spaces between your internal organs is called visceral or liver fat. This belly fat poses a crucial threat to your health and needs to be taken seriously. Aerobic exercise such as brisk walking, jogging, and swimming burns calories. Resistance exercise, such as weightlifting, builds bones and strengthens muscles. Both of these modes of exercise are important, and both should be a part of your exercise program. Duke University Medical Center researchers performed a study and found that if you are trying to reduce visceral fat, aerobic exercise is your best choice. Aerobic exercise burns 67% more calories than resistance training the researchers found. So concentrate on aerobic exercise to burn away that dangerous visceral fat. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. I'm pumped up. I hope you are, too. I am your host, Frankie Picasso. You're listening to Mission Unstoppable Radio. Have you been to www.thefearandanxietysolution.com? If you haven't, you should, because that's the website for my guest today, Dr. Friedemann Schaub. And we are having a wonderful time talking about fear and anxiety. You know what? Life doesn't have to be miserable. You can laugh through life, and we can help you get through this unresolved fear and anxiety. Uh, it will resolve itself if you do what he says in his book. And, and you can overcome this and start to live a life that is way more free, uh, you know, just beyond your imagination, really. Uh, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. And I want to also encourage people because, you know, one thing that I often hear from uh, my clients when they say, you know, I started reading the book and it was wonderful, but I really felt like it's too much for me to do on my own. I would want to have some help. So go to the website. You can schedule a free consultation with me either via Skype or the phone. I'm working with clients all over the world. So if you do struggle with fear and anxiety, but also with other emotional blocks, or you have some, I'm also working often with people that have chronic physical illnesses, mm -hmm. chronic pain that have a subconscious emotional root cause. If you're interested in learning anything about that, so just go to the website, schedule a free consultation, and we can see what we can make happen together. Well, because you talk about in the book about how chronic fear can exhaust you mentally, emotionally. It can create high blood pressure, chronic pain, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, autoimmune disease, and cancer. Like these are all the things physiologically and emotionally that can, you know, stem from having fear and anxiety in your life chronically. So it's best that, you know, you rid yourself of this as soon as you can. Well, and outgrow it. You know, it's yeah. a pattern. Fear and anxiety is something that we all have the capacity to do. It's not something we will never be able to do again once we worked on it. But we can outgrow those patterns, you know, where we get so easily triggered, where mm -hmm. something happens. Someone is frowning at you and you feel immediately, oh, my God, they don't like me. And you feel insecure. You feel small. You feel like you want to just hide out. I mean, those kind of patterns, you don't have to live with them because you always live somehow in a smaller version of yourself, even if you have the opposite pattern, you know, the pattern of the person who is 
all controlling and maybe sometimes you know very bossy or micromanaging or maybe angry underneath even that pattern is a lot of insecurity and fear the fear of losing control the fear of not having power and that fear also runs your life even mm -hmm. though on the outside no one sees it but on the inside you're struggling you're in pain you're not feeling as connected so when you just notice that you're somehow in survival mode and you're not really enjoying life just like i did 27 years ago it's a good idea to address whatever holds you back from opening up and having a better time you're a big proponent of meditation and I want to talk to you about the Kundalini yoga that you do and that you continue. Do you still doing it today? I do. Yes. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now, a lot of people have a hard time with the word meditation. You say that it can literally change your life and, you know, reverse many of these, you know, adversities that people are struggling with. Um, how does it do that? Well, you know, meditation is hard at the beginning. So I completely agree with people that saying I have tried it and I don't know, it's not working for me because it didn't work for me either. I mean, mm -hmm. I was meditating in the bathtub and I thought, okay, now I can really go deep and boom, I fell asleep or I heard my mind so loud racing that actually it was the opposite of feeling calm. Uh, because my attitude was wrong. You know, I just believe meditation needs to work. It's like a, a remedy. It's something that somehow should still me and I should be thoughtless. And Yeah. Like, what, uh, what, are you thoughtless when you meditate? <laughs> like, of course not. Really? No. Yeah, okay. Pretty much, but, you know, impossible to have no thought. But you are learning to let your thoughts more go. You're learning to just see them and not get attached to them. But, you know, that's kind of more mindfulness meditation, which is sure. a wonderful uh, entry drug when it comes to meditation because you really feel like, wow, I am so much more relaxed and so much more cool when it comes to, uh, you know, my life and I don't get so easily riled up. But meditation ultimately should lead you more to yourself, to your center. You should ideally, at least in my mind, get through meditation, a closer relationship with yourself. That's at least how I see meditation as a wonderful practice of self-love, self-compassion, reconnecting that, what is really inside of you, your essence versus that, what you maybe portray to the world and, you know, go into these roles and personalities that you sometimes feel like, well, ultimately I'm having a mask on, I'm really not my authentic self. And then you lose yourself in those roles, just like we talked about before. So in meditation, you can find out more the truth of who you are and you just feel more relaxed in it. You feel more trusting in it and you feel like also less, you know, encumbered by what happens outside of you. You talk, you talk about the conscious mind, the subconscious mind, the higher self. Let me ask you something. How, have you ever encountered somebody who, whose fear and anxiety has come through from a past life? Oh, yeah. Brought it with them. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Now, I don't know if this is real or if it's a metaphor, okay. but it is certainly something where people felt very clearly as they were working with their subconscious that what happened had nothing to do with their current life, but 
it was something that happened in the past and the way they described it, the way they were going through it was, you know, something that really shook them up in the moment. They say, oh my God, I can see exactly what occurs and I can see exactly the people that were there and there are people that are still in my life now and I know exactly why I'm reacting so much to them when they do this, which I never really understood before. And so they are connecting the dots and they can resolve it. Now, not Everyone needs to go into the past life, but when you do feel there is something unexplainable that you know you don't really have a context for, it's worth looking there. It's worth looking into experiences in the womb, which also can have a big imprint on your life, even though you may consciously not remember it, but your subconscious keeps track on it, and you can resolve it. You know, I used to have these vivid, vivid dreams when I was probably from the age three to five and mm-hmm. of these airplanes going up and coming down and crashing and coming up and crashing. And I never, I, you know, I mean, I came on a, to Canada on an airplane from Europe, but I was a bit, I didn't remember that, but these were very, very vivid dreams. And then they stopped. They stopped after mm-hmm. I started to go to school. And when I became a metaphysical hypnotherapist, uh, I guess about six, seven years ago, um, I had a past life and it came through as, as a fighter pilot. Mm. And that dream just came back and went, whoa, that's what it was all about. And I understand that lots of children have dreams in their first, you know, three to five years, and then they go away. And that those memories come through somehow. What do you think? I agree. I mean, this is something that, uh, you know, friends tell me sometimes. You know, I have this one-year-old or two-year-old, they have these you know, really screaming fits at night, they're waking up, uh, you know, or they are in their sleep screaming and yelling and they're so little and I don't really know what happened to them. Did I do something wrong? And and I do believe these are echoes. These mm-hmm. are still dreams that they are having from another time. And, uh, you know, this is the thing. We don't have to be skeptic. We don't have to be cynics. We can just be open that there is that possibility there. And, and from the subconscious perspective, Again, everything is real, whether we're imagining that there is a past life, whether there was one, whether we're imagining there is a, you know, a future self that feels calm and relaxed and positive, and we are not really that person yet. For the subconscious, everything is real, and this is why the subconscious right. is so wonderful to work with, because it can take that what is now, and it can change it in that what can be. It can take the past and can rewrite it because it doesn't have to be written in stone. You can change your perspective. You can change your energy about it. You can change your feelings about it. You can rewrite your history. And that that's just something you cannot do with your intellect. That is something you can do with your subconscious. How fantastic is that? Okay, I got one more question because you're so fascinating. And I just love fascinating topics. <laughs> uh, as a cardiologist, you know, we've heard about people getting, uh, having surgeries and getting, you know, somebody's eye or somebody's limb or whatever and having those feelings and emotions that went along with that person. So has anybody that you know of had a, had a fear and anxiety attack that was the result of somebody else? that person of which they were have just received a limb from let's say no i don't Is that know far-fetched anything. no 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 i mean, i think you know you know that there are these heart transplant patients that all of a sudden 
develop some affinity to let's say strawberries and then you know at the same time really hate cats and they never did before and talking to the people that had you know were the donors or for the family of the donors of the heart it was exactly that what these people had felt or experienced or their preferences so there are books written about what happens with especially heart donors because Mm -hmm. a lot of our emotions and i believe a lot Mm. of the subconscious comes together at the level of the heart so when you take someone else's heart you naturally take also some of their story and some of their emotions and their beliefs so it's it's very fascinating too how extraordinary isn't it wow we are just like amazing beings like Wow, it's just crazy. So cellular memory is part of that. And and so when you are changing your subconscious, is cellular memory also part of that? And and how you have to um, change that neural pathway, new thought pa- pattern, new thought process in order to to stop going back to what's what's, you know, your past normal and go to your future normal. Well, it has to, you know, so many uh, emotions and memories are stored in the cells or stored in our physical body. And uh, so when we work on releasing the past, when we work on changing those patterns, we naturally also work with those cells. The subconscious does that fairly Mm -hmm. automatically because the subconscious is the intercessor of that mind-body connection. Without the subconscious, we don't reach the body just with our head. So in that regard, when we do work on this level, the subconscious also you know, positively affects the, the cells in the physical body. And you feel differently. I mean, you just don't think only differently. You actually feel in your body lighter, more open, more relaxed, all of those good things. My guest today, Dr. Friedemann Schaub, you... You love him already. I know that you do. Go to the fearandanxietysolution.com. Visit him on his site. You can listen to his radio show weekly as well. Thank you so much for being my guest today. You are amazing. And I really hope that people check out your book and your, and your shows and uh, your website because you're, you're one, of, one of a kind. Thank you so oh, much. Thank you so much. That was one of the funnest radio shows I ever was doing. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> you're welcome. They didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.